Harrington, and welcome to the third part of Hooked, the five-part series where we examine all aspects of the illness of addiction. Last week, we heard addicts telling their painful stories, in which their families often play a significant role. Far from existing in isolation, addiction lives in a nest of family networks, with each addict adversely affecting, on average, the lives of up to five other people. Today, we'll meet some of those people, whose names I've changed for this program. Firstly, I travel to Singapore to talk to the Cabins family and sex addiction therapist, Brian Rossman. He explains how addicts and their loved ones become emotionally entangled and how addiction and codependence are often passed down from parent to child and what is truly a family disease. Very often with addiction, we see uh, generational themes where addiction has been present in a family system over several generations. The other issue with addiction is, and, and the reason we call addiction a family disease, the family is as negatively affected by the addiction as the addicted loved one. Okay, so how does this play out? It often plays out in what we call dysfunctional family systems, and we use the um, analogy of a, a mobile to illustrate the family as a system, a mobile that goes over a baby's crib, and it has individual independent parts that are all interconnected. Right. And if there's a uh, disruption in one of those pieces or a strain in one of those pieces, the rest of the system uh, is out of balance and tries to return to homeostasis. Which is balance. Which is balance. And often that, um, you know, compensating, the family compensating for the addiction is unwittingly doing things like rescuing, enabling, and protecting. Now, we hear those phrases a lot. What do they actually mean? What is rescuing and enabling? So often with, with addiction, an addict has to reach some uh, uh, bottom or at least uh, pain and consequences in, o in order to motivate them to change. If a family member or system is bailing them out, um, getting them out of jam after jam after jam, it's unlikely that they'll experience the natural consequences of their behavior and therefore, you know, be motivated to change. So this could be things like calling your husband's boss on Monday morning and pretending he's sick when really he has a hangover, this kind of thing. That, that yes. And uh, again, we see this in relationships with parents of adult children uh, that have um, had, you know, a failure to launch. So the child, because of an addiction, which often starts in adolescence, um, doesn't you know, learn to grow and mature into a responsible, sober adult. And as a result, the family has to pick up the slack. And they continue to do that over and over. So the uh, individual isn't successful in school, work, or functioning as a, as a, uh, a healthy human. And the family is, is continually picking up that slack in, in the sense what we call enabling. Right. So tell us a bit more about enabling. When, is, when are we helping somebody and when are we enabling them? The way that I define enabling is if I'm supporting someone that's active in their addiction, that by definition is enabling. And what we would... What we would um, encourage families to do instead is stop any type of 
support if your loved one is active in their addiction and direct that energy into getting them into into treatment and into, into getting some help. Okay. And what's the difference between help, support, and rescuing? So, you get, again, um, supporting someone that's active in their addiction, that right there by definition is enabling. What we need to do, if we recognize that there is, in fact, an addiction present, is put all of our energy, effort, and resources into getting that individual help. And after that individual returns, if they're sober, support would be um, given when that individual is doing the things that they need to do to maintain their, their sobriety. So it's a bit of a give and take. Right. So I'm hearing that tough love is what's called for here. I do. I, I, I do believe in tough love. However, I think that there's a misnomer that tough love is delivered with anger or malicious intent. It's not. It's the understanding that if I continue to support this person in their active addiction, uh, I'm not helping. I'm actually hurting. So for family members, either, you know, parents or spouses often, uh, they have to come to the realization, hey, that this is not actually helping um, and it's not turning my back on my loved one if they're not getting the help that they need. It's, it's, it's realizing that I can't do it for them. So it's kind of detaching with love. Absolutely, absolutely. Now we hear the, the term codependence a lot in addiction. What's going on there? Well, codependence is, again, if we return to the analogy of the mobile, if a family member or family system continues to do the same type of compensatory behavior over and over and over again, that starts to become part of their neural networks. So they uh, continue that behavior until it becomes pathological or unhealthy, and that's what we, what we consider codependency. And codependency can affect girlfriends, wives, kids, moms, dads? Absolutely, absolutely. And we, we often see, and this is a bit deeper, um, a very similar core in individuals that tend to have codependent behaviors, um, very similar core to uh, individuals that have chemical addictions or process addictions. In fact, relationship addiction is a, a, a form of a process addiction. So you can be a bit addicted to your addict? Absolutely, absolutely, and we see that very often in these relationships, where the individual almost um, becomes um, a part of the problem. And as the addict progresses in their addiction and gets sicker and sicker, often we see a, a family members um, in a codependent relationship progressively getting worse and worse as well. So it really is truly a family illness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's there's no blame here, is there? It's it's just the way it is. Yeah, and you know I, I think it's important to note as well when we look at family systems theory and we look at the tendency uh, for addiction to affect not only an individual family member but the rest of the family. So if classic example, mom is a codependent spouse, dad is an alcoholic, the siblings in that household um, are also affected, negatively affected, because dad isn't present and mom isn't present. So they start to take on maladaptive survival roles 
which sets them up in turn for these same types of relationships in their in their future. So if your dad's an alcoholic, for example, and you're used to tiptoeing around the house on eggshells because he has a hangover and he might be angry and easily provoked, that's very damaging for you as a child, isn't it? Yeah, and it sets you up for... Um, codependency yourself and it sets you up for caretaking a because you're socialized in that family system where you've you, you've been uh, um, exposed to mom and the way that she interacts with dad you're much more likely to um, be, become in a relationship with yourself with a dysfunctional individual uh, addicted or otherwise so this repeats from generation to generation and that's what we tend to see in these family systems and it's really ironic because very often uh, the children in these family systems will say at that time I'll never do this I'll never be like this I'll never treat my children like this. And very often they recreate the same relationship in their, in their uh, family of choice. Family addiction therapist Brian Russman. Back in Hong Kong, Cindy was one such child who grew up with an alcoholic father. She describes how difficult life was living with a drinker and how she found help in Al-Anon, the sister fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, which provides support to family members of alcoholics. When you grow up in a home with alcoholism or any other kind of addiction, uh, the children are often really, really deeply emotionally affected by the disease of alcoholism. So uh, in my case, uh, my father was an alcoholic since I was born, um, and we didn't really even recognize that he had a problem until I was around 10 years old. What happened? Um, he, My parents had a, a falling out, and um, and he decided to try and get sober. And so uh, he began going to AA meetings, but that was pretty short-lived, and oftentimes that happens, people relapse, and um, and so, uh, but yeah, we, we basically, my whole family lived with alcoholism for my entire life, and so uh, you just develop these mechanisms of dealing with stress and dealing with uh, pressure and uh, basically a very volatile, sick person for your whole life, and that affects basically how I how I view myself in the world today and how I how I interact with people even now how do you think it affected you um, well me personally uh, there's there's different family structures around alcoholism um, in my personal family I was the scapegoat so I took a lot of the blame for the family's stress and the family's issues um, and so that that just affected my self-esteem really heavily um, and so I was, and I relied on my friends a lot, and outside, outside my basically my uh, chosen family kind of thing. So, uh, so yeah, it affected me. Um, just yeah, kind of like self esteem stuff, and and just basic uh, self worth kind of things. And so you, when you grow up in that, and my brother had a very different experience. So uh, my brother was more the hero, so he was idolized and kind of expected to be very perfect. Uh, and that was a lot of pressure on him, and so he handled that in a different way than I handled my my role in the family. Sounds like a pretty tough job growing up with an alcoholic. It is, yeah. It's a lot of pressure to live under. Um, but luckily, uh, my dad uh, uh, relapsed again, and um, but he actually sought help this time, and so we also sought help as a family um, after he went through rehab this this summer and. Um, I was then made aware of Al-Anon and, and the strength and hope and, and experiences that are shared by 
everyone, not just adult children, not just wives. I, I always thought Al-Anon was just a, a group of wives that were upset that their husbands are drinking, and it's so much more than that. So what have you gained personally from Al-Anon, would you say? Uh, I gained a fellowship and a friendship and a safe place where I can come and and speak about my issues uh, that I'm having and my fears and my doubts about my own life and my own... Um, just outlook on things and I and I get to see other people that have totally different backgrounds and totally different family structures but they're all dealing with the same sorts of pressures that I'm also under. And would you get comfort from knowing that you're not alone that you're not unique? Yes of course yeah it's uh it's very reassuring to know that other people are um also also going through the same things but they've the other people who have been in the program for a long time have overcome the things that I'm currently struggling with and so I see them and I hear their stories and it just makes me feel so um, so encouraged and so hopeful. Cindy, adult child of an alcoholic. Being the family member of an alcoholic or addict is a constant stress. Clark, whose husband is an alcoholic, explains what brought him to Al-Anon. We've been married for a year, but we were together for 15 years. Uh, he's alcoholic, so um, I started coming to Al-Anon about two years ago. Uh, I actually started off somewhere else and then I moved to Hong Kong about nine months ago. And how does it help you? Um, it helped me tremendously knowing the support of the group, uh, knowing that you're not alone. Everyone's, uh, even though everyone came with the different um, qualifications, some uh, drugs, some uh, uh, alcohol, uh, some are parents, some are uh, f- uh, family members, some are ch- their children have problems, uh, but you know everyone facing the same issues. You realize you're not alone and the support from the groups really help. So what problems could you say you experienced living with an alcoholic? Um, you know, for the longest time, uh, no, he was, he was uh, a a functioning alcoholic, I would say, um, when we were living in New York and he was, you know, working and all that. Um, but since we moved, we left and moved to Asia, um, the his his illness became more prevalent and um, became out of control. How did it affect you? Well, um, it really put a lot of stress on my life in general, um, especially when you're working, you're traveling. You don't know what kind of troubles he will get himself into. He you know, lock himself in the lift. Um, apparently, recently he was naked in our trash rooms that our um, uh, our super uh, and and the security people actually took him back into the room. Um, and then you walk past every day. You see the same people. They're looking at you funny. I like you know get to a point that I don't. That doesn't really worry me anymore. You know, it's a phase. You get through it. Um, but in general, it's, it's the general stress. You know, your your work is already very stressful. Your general life, uh, but you you think about this person who you don't know what he or he would be up to, and then also um, the pressure, even from you know, you dealing with your family, um, your own family, my, my own parents, um, our friends. You know, people don't understand how alcoholism is a is a disease. As some, I think I learned a very good things at one of my early meetings is that I um, actually came from the uh, the sponsor of my um, qualifier, 
my husband. He, um, What's the qualifier? Um, the the person who qualified us to join the Al Anon. I yeah. see. So um, uh, he, he said that this uh, the illness is like um, it's like an allergy, alcoholism or drug addiction is like an allergy. So once the allergy kicks in, you don't know how to stop it until you you take you know in that situation you take a pill, you go to sleep hoping your sneezing will stop, but. Um, and alcoholism is a little bit like that. Um, you, once they started, they don't know how to stop. And um, and they also said that do you you don't get you shouldn't get you don't get angry with with someone who have cancer. You don't get angry with that person. You're angry with the cancer. Um, and the same way as you should be dealing with alcoholism and addictions in general is like you should be angry with the. Ad- Addictions itself, but not with the person. So now there is is the balance on how you treat, you know, and deal with your your loved ones. And do you find it easier to think of it in terms of an illness rather than a character? It does. It does. It helps a lot. You know, every time you remind myself it is an illness. You know, he's sick. um, So you don't get personal with them. It is very hard. Like it's easier said than done, and I still fail every time practically. Um, but um, it helps a lot to to think that it is it is an illness than a character defect. Clark, coping with an alcoholic partner. Next, Mum Jessica talks about her experiences of addiction as a family disease and the pain of parental guilt. She describes her journey to Al-Anon. I'm a parent, and I have to say it was my son when um, it became impossible to deny any longer that he was uh, really struggling. So he'd been you know, doing those things that you think are relatively normal. Um, in, in Hong Kong, all the kids are doing a lot of different things. They go down to Long Kwai Fung, they experiment with things, but um, it became really obvious that it was starting to impact his school. He was probably going to get expelled. And um, when he was in the hospital, um, it was pretty obvious that we needed to do something. And what, what took him to hospital? He drank, I think, a half a bottle of vodka. So um, Aged what? This, this was actually relatively recently. Um, uh, that was probably... That was probably three years ago. So in his late teens. Yeah, his late teens. But previously, we we knew that um, he was involved with. Um, we knew he was involved with um, smoking pot, and it had become such a prevalent thing that we later learned that he was smoking every day. He'd become addicted to. Um, um, smoking pot every single day um, after his first his first joint apparently and um, I think that that most people think that you know everybody's going to try this and then most people do just stop doing it and it doesn't destroy every relationship that they have and once we we really started seeing him destroying the relationships, it was really clear that um, he needed he needed help. It was beyond anything that we could do. Um, I'm a type A personality, and I thought I could fix it. And I think I came to AA hoping for something beyond all the other things that we had thrown at it, um, in terms including rehab and um, psychologists and therapists and everything that could possibly be of help. Diet, you name it, we had tried to throw at um, this problem and um, it wasn't working. 
And Al-Anon was actually a last stop for me personally to help support um, myself. And I came into the rooms not wanting to be there in total denial that, well, this really isn't a problem. All kids go through this, but um, kids don't stay in this place. And um, he has other siblings, and it is it has become so clear that this is, is such a family disease. And um, just there's so much guilt. I mean, parents, my job, what's my job as a parent is to, is to help my kids to become their best selves. What, and what could you have done differently, honestly? Honestly, um, honestly the, what I've learned in Al-Anon and what is, Al-Anon has given me as a gift is the recognition that I couldn't have done anything more. Maybe I could have stopped rescuing him earlier. And that my attempts to try to help him was actually called something called enabling mm. and actually called rescuing. And that what I've done since I really understood this as an addiction and understood that there is a worldwide community of people that can help him and he knows that and that I can't be the person that is the one that um, helps him. Um, since I've really understood that, I understand what helping an addict really means, and that is um, putting good boundaries in my own life, um, loving him, but supporting him in his sobriety, and when he's not in, in sobriety, detaching as much as I can with, light, with love, and trying to support my other children who are completely devastated by their brother's choices and their feelings of, of their own feelings of guilt and their own feelings of, of what could I have done. And um, my hope for them is that, which I cannot control, is that they too will one day um, experience the positive um, support that you get in Al-Anon. And I hope that when they see how beneficial it's been to me in my life, that they will want that. Um, but I think for... The, what, what I found in this group of Al-Anon members here is that there's every walk of life. There's there's people with process addictions. There's people with all kinds of of different things, but it's all motivated by anxiety. It's all motivated by um, lack of love of self. And all I can do is concentrate on trying to love myself and try to pass it on, pass on the good things that I've worked uh, that I've learned by working the working the steps. That was mum, Jessica. Finally, Al-Anon regular Michelle explains the origin and role of this vital lifeline for the families of alcoholics. Al-Anon is a group support system that um, was set up back in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's for families and friends of alcoholics. So it's like a sister group of AA? It is, actually, and we work the same 12 steps that AA works. Um, the purpose of Al-Anon is really to help these um, families that have been profoundly affected by somebody else's drinking. How would they be affected, exactly? It manifests itself, I suppose, in different ways for different people, but there are a lot of commonalities, and some of the commonalities are obsessive thinking and covering up for the alcoholic and throwing out 
alcohol and lying about whether they can make it to work and what the reason is that they can make it to work. So calling in and saying your husband is sick when really he has a hangover. really he has a hangover. And um, there are, I think one of the main things that is a focus of Al-Anon is that we cannot control alcoholism. And or uh, is this just for alcoholics, or is it for other drugs and addictions as well? Al-Anon is um, is a program that is focused on alcoholism. Um, the Al-Anon meeting that I attend in Hong Kong, a group conscience was taken, and we do have it's an open meeting, so people come who have um, loved ones who or friends or relatives who have other addictions. But the focus of Al-Anon is on alcoholism. Right, so people come along and they come to a meeting, the same as AA, and uh, share about their experiences? It's all about sharing um, experiences. There are no leaders in Al-Anon. Everybody is, um, comes in with this. It's a very level playing field. And all that happens in meetings is are people share what we call their experience, strength, and hope. And that is a huge help because alcoholism and the effects of it on a family are very isolating. People feel very shamed by the whole situation and often don't feel like there's anybody that they can talk to because even if they have friends um, who care about them, these friends are not necessarily dealing with the same kinds of issues that they're dealing with. And when you come to an Al-Anon meeting, everybody in the room um, has an understanding of the same kinds of problems that you've been going through. Right, and I'd say a lot of families keep this uh, a guilty secret, don't they? Absolutely. And um, it's an anonymous program, and everything that's said in meetings and from member to member is completely confidential, so that's an important thing for people to know, I think. Because I think that there's a lot of um, denial on the part of the family members. Um, it's not just the alcoholic who is um, denying that they have a problem. I think a lot of people who walk into an Al-Anon meeting come in and, and say, well, I'm not the one with the problem. Well, the fact of the matter is that um, if your life's become unmanageable and the focus of your life is somebody else's abusive drugs or alcohol, it's very hard to keep your life manageable. And very often, you know, focus gets taken off of other children in the family. Um, people are showing up to work. People in our program are showing up to work, um, not being able to focus on what they've got to do. Um, it, it has a, it's got a devastating effect on family members, absolutely. So would you see um, children coming along and husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, everybody? In other parts of the world, there is a program called Alateen, but we don't have it in Hong Kong, unfortunately, at this point. We do have some members in Al-Anon who are looking to start an Alateen here, but there is um, some certification that has to take place because then you're running a meeting with minors. So you hold meetings twice a week, I believe, on Thursday and Sundays at Borat Road. Yes, those are the ones that um, you know that I, that, that I attend. But there's also a meeting in Discovery Bay, and there's one on Friday middays at St. Joseph's Church. Thank you to Michelle and to all my guests from the Family Fellowship. Details of all meetings of Al-Anon and CODA, the support group for codependents, can be found online. Next week. Process addictions, the new wave of sex, love, porn, shopping and gambling addictions. 
fueled by the internet. I'm Anna Fenton. Join me then.